Welcome to the Sailing Into Oblivion podcast, where we hear stories from everyday people who do extraordinary things. I'm your host, Jerome Rand. Welcome, everybody. We are back today with Mackenzie, uh, the part two of the podcast where we sort of go off the rails, talk about anything and everything from forest to fires to the environment to marketing to bacon this, that, and the other thing, and it was a lot of fun. Mackenzie's super smart, and I definitely learned a whole lot. I do have a quick little warning. We, we talk a little bit about um, controlled burns, and she's she's had a little bit of experience with that, but I do want to say that uh, fire should never be played with, and nobody should be doing that uh, without people who know exactly what they're doing and uh, all that sort of stuff. So don't uh, don't try that at home just because you listen to this podcast. <laughs> Other than that, hopefully you guys enjoy it. We're coming into the last few days before I set sail, but I have figured out that I, I think I can take a couple of podcasts and have them uploaded while I'm out at sea, which is totally a, uh, a mind trip for me. But we're going to try it out and see how it goes but um yeah that's that's basically it and you know as i always say if you want to support the podcast go ahead and uh, head over to patreon sailing into oblivion and i'll have a link in the description i big big thanks to all all the guys that are guys and gals and everybody that's out there that's uh, already supporting the show because it really really helps other than that here we go with Mackenzie part two you're, what kind of beer is that you're drinking there? I am drinking. I I am a lover of Hefenweizens. This is a Hoe Garden. Um, Hefenweizen. Yeah. Oh, it's good. It it's so good on a hot day or or any day really. Um, it's a a Belgian Shout out style. Hefenweizen. Right. It's a Belgian style of beer, and depending on the kind that you you get or you like, it can taste anything from like bubblegum to banana bread to like a really piney kind of spicy Christmassy flavor. So it's got a big range, but this one tastes like banana bread. Gotcha. <laughs> God. oh, wow. Interesting. Well, I'm going to go grab a bush light. Uh, can you give us just a little bit of a background yeah. on your, your education when it comes to trees, forests, Ooh, and all that did sort Phil of stuff. Tell you. Well, <laughs> if we're gonna talk fires and burning those suckers Uh-oh. down, I didn't. I didn't listen to his whole podcast. Did oh he, no, he, did he tell all of my secrets. No, no, we we <laughs> did. We talked off the podcast. We didn't really talk about you that much. He's. This is. We're flip flopping. Like on this one, we're talking about <laughs> Phil because he's like you know, you always got to target him, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> He deserves it. <laughs> um, so I I grew up in Minnesota. I basically grew up in the woods. My family had six or seven acres on um, on a river, and everything was just lush oak oak forest with a beautiful like undergrowth of wild black raspberry bushes. And I like to think that that that's where I grew up. Um, and, and I was dirty all the time and I was out with my little hatchet and, and just having a blast. And that started my love of everything, everything natural. And I went out to South Dakota for my bachelor's degree in landscape architecture with a minor in horticulture. 
And from there, I was the state urban forestry coordinator for South Dakota and did that for a year before coming back to Minnesota and working on um, shoreline restoration. If, oh, okay. if you're familiar, yeah, and, and we, we set up like native prairies and wetland gardens and all this kind of stuff to remediate erosion or just bring places back to their natural state to make them healthier. Um, and that was always, always a love of mine. And obviously, I still do a ton of work now that I live on a boat and have no yard at all. Yeah, <laughs> right. You have a couple of plants, though. I got my first plant. Oh, I'm nice. so excited. Everything is plastic. Uh, for like the last year and a half, we've got a couple little plastic plants from Ikea. Yeah. But I, I went to the hardware store for a part. And, well, they had a garden section. I just couldn't say no. Yeah. So we got our very first little plant. And it's a pothos. And it's it's on our shelf right now. As happy as can be. Nice. And so am I. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So you you how long were you doing that for in South Dakota? I I did urban forestry for a year um, only. That was that's a story for another day. Um, yeah, <laughs> I heard. Well, because yeah, I mean, when you think of South Dakota, you don't really think lush forests, right? Right. No, no. And but they I do actually, have forests, right? They do. Yeah, like the Black Hills are stunning, and then you get more towards the um, the eastern side of the state, and and that's a bit more lush. But I was out in the absolute middle of something that people lovingly refer to as the Prairie Desert. And mm. <laughs> it's not a terribly hospitable place for trees. Um, so I was an urban forestry coordinator in a small enough community in the middle of the prairie desert that, according to the federal department of like what is urban, my closest urban tree was like four hours away. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it was it was wild, but it was a huge learning experience. And, and we worked with a ton of communities and, and the reservations in the area just to try to build up you know, the, the forests and the gardens and the parkways that they have in towns. Is, um, the, is the prairie there natural? Yes. Yes. Um, it, depending on where you are and what you consider natural. But for the most part, yes. Um, that is how it was when, you know, people came on horseback and were looking okay. at it. There was a slight difference between all of the Midwest, really. A lot of the trees that are there um, are there because humans are there now. They're, they normally followed, like, riverways in a lot of the areas. Not all of them, obviously, but um, native prairie grass was a much wider thing that happened there where people would come and settlers would be on horseback and there were actually these nine foot prairie grasses yeah, like everywhere if you i i remember hearing you know when when um the settlers were going out there mm -hmm. if if like you had kids and they strayed into the grass oh they'd be gone gone like they <laughs> they wouldn't even be like well let's go search it was like right gone yeah people would stand up on their horses to be able to see over the grass yeah that's yeah. i mean just trying to imagine because you know we think about what it is now and mm -hmm. if you go to some untouched field that's just natural yeah the grass might be 
three, four feet. Right, we went right. Nine yeah, feet. Yeah, it'd be like a jungle. Yeah. Yeah. I, oh, my god. <laughs> it was nuts. And, you know, not everywhere was, was like that, but those are kind of the interesting parts. Um, in South Dakota, there's a place called Waldrug. And this is another, like, little gem out in the middle of nowhere. Oh, yeah, that was, like, the original tourist trap yeah, sort of thing. Yes, yeah. 100%. It was the only place uh, that offered ice water when you were going across this big huge prairie and you had been traveling for you know days or weeks on end wall drug would have free ice water at the end of it and and it would Mm -hmm. bring everybody and it's still there to this day it's it's like this little conglomeration of tourist traps if you will um but they have billboards literally everywhere in the world as their marketing ploy there there's actually a billboard for wall drug in africa that's like just in the middle of nowhere and it lists <laughs> the, the number yeah on the like the number of miles away before you get to wall drug yeah. and it's it's just comical but yeah they'll get you <laughs> they used to have another one uh i believe it was called burma shave okay they got, i think they got rid of all those signs but out west those were and they would, you'd have one and then a mile, you'd have another one. And right. it was these rhymes. I think you can oh, see, okay. they, they show it in uh, that, that movie, The World's Fastest Indian, mm. about the New Zealander who's held the land speed record on a motorcycle. Okay. It's a great movie. Great I'll have movie. to see it. Weirdest thing too. I did a podcast with my cousin, Nick. We, we backpacked there for uh, a couple of months and uh, we were in Invercargill. When that movie came out, and that was the guy's hometown cool. where he was from in New Zealand, it was like the weirdest coincidence. <laughs> you know, I don't know, it was crazy. <laughs> well, so, so you totally fell in love with Forrest. I mean, I, I absolutely was sort of the same way. I never studied it or anything mm-hmm. besides camping. But the first time I went camping was, I was probably 18 years old. And then every summer after that. (laughs) And we went normally up in the UP or northern Minnesota, up in the Boundary Waters, um, down to the Appalachians, all that sort of stuff. And then in 2012, I did the Appalachian Trail. Okay. And some of the reading and stuff that I did about that, hearing about not only like the fires and stuff that, there were when I did it that year there were fires all up and down the trail Mm -hmm. and we would go through these controlled burn areas uh but learning about the the different plights blights that that just can write off an entire species of tree like the American chestnut oh absolutely it's like the most heartbreaking story and when I remember hearing about you know they they figured there were like four billion of these trees up and down the Appalachians that Mm -hmm. basically were almost beyond super climax because they blocked out the sun. Their yeah. canopies are so big. I mean, you probably know way about, about this <laughs> than I do. Telling them. <laughs> Sorry. I love it. I love hearing it. But going and looking at pictures online of people, like, you know, logging and, and doing that back, you know, 150 years ago in yeah. those trees. And those trees were massive. I mean, the trunks. Yeah. Gigantic. And you're just thinking that was the tree that was from Maine all the way down to, you know, Charleston or whatever. Yeah. It's like, holy cow. I don't know. I, mm-hmm. I just totally fell in love with it. But what what uh, we were talking about the other night at the bonfire is mm-hmm. the fires. Oh, yeah. Yep. And that, there's some sort of, I don't know, I, I don't want to call it debate on, on why it is and what's going on and all that sort of stuff. And I, I guess 
I'm just thinking uh, in in terms of here in the states. You know, I obviously mm-hmm. Australia has over the last few years just been insane. Yeah, but they're under a whole different set of circumstances. I don't know. Can you shed a little light? Maybe? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm just I'm trying no to professional. sound smart. <laughs> um, so. It's a lot of things. It's a lot of things all coming together to create the perfect storm, really. We have the human element where we've been overforesting certain things or or we've been disallowing nature to take care of itself in other ways. And then we have this other part where regardless of what camp you're in for why the climate is changing it, it is and that is creating this very tumultuous situation where we have extreme highs and extreme lows and extreme storms and extreme droughts and all of that is really pushing it to this point where like wildfires are a thing that are just becoming normal place now well i mean we're only we're not long from california's mm-hmm. or out west their whole fire season when is that typically take place like in the summer oh god i just <laughs> this might sound terrible but i just consider it always just always <laughs> it's now. just always on fire <laughs> um it's you know it's crazy like we when you think of when we were younger this wasn't something that sticks in your brain because it wasn't happening at the same rate. You weren't hearing about California's on fire or Australia's on fire. Shoot, I think it was last summer, the one before that, like almost all of Canada was just on fire for like oh, months. Oh, yeah, you could see it from space. Yeah, yeah. And and that's just, that's a new, that's a new happenstance. And um, it it has to do a lot with humans just you know, we exist. There are more of us these days. And, and for better or for worse, what we do affects the environment that, that we're taking up. And fires seem to be one of those things that is just happening now. Um, and how, how, we, how we stop that, your, your guess is as good as mine. I mean, we can know what's causing each individual fire, um, whether that's somebody who, you know, was camping and forgot to put their fire out or whether that's record droughts in a state. Um, there seems to be something different a little bit in each scenario, but statistically you add it all up and like, it's just, it's happening more often and worse. Um, gosh, I don't know. I'm well, <laughs> I, I know, I know where I live up in Michigan if if there's a big like microburst and there's a, a pretty decent sized blowdown and you get a lot of trees that go down and stuff, I believe that you can just contact the county mm-hmm. and they will come out and they will chop up any down trees and haul it all out of there okay. to try and slow down the amount of just dead tinder that's on the yeah. ground. Yeah. Um, and I know that that sort of it. it I know at least. In the big fire they had in Boundary Waters, I guess mm-hmm. ten years ago or more, um, it's sort of known as the big fire. Mm-hmm. That one, and it might have even been longer ago, but they had had a blowdown, huge windstorm, mm-hmm. four or five years before, and because that place is untouchable, you know, because it's a, a national or a state forest or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you're not allowed to mess with Mother Nature sort of thing. It was, you know, the perfect, like you said, the perfect storm of basically 99,000 acres of 
perfect tinder yeah it was just waiting for that drought in a situation like that i mean is it better to be able to go in and remove some of that mm-hmm. or is it better just to leave it and let you know the whole thing just go yeah because it's i mean it, you know if the whole place burns down because of it mm-hmm. but sometimes that can be beneficial right yeah oh 100 percent um I think there are there are pros and cons to to each of those scenarios where fire is it's destructive. It's it's got a ton of things that it's going to destroy in its path. Um, But something that humans seem to not be terribly comfortable with is the fact that there is creation after destruction and the tinders and the fire and, and everything that it burns down when you see say like a, a, a sorry a controlled burn in an area um when you see the green growth the year after the second year after in an area that was allowed to burn it's intense like it is thick it is lush it is the healthiest point that area has ever been in for a long while because it has this fire where that dead think of like your skin you know you kind of exfoliate and then you put the lotion on a fire it exfoliates the earth it gets rid of all of that tinder and that dead debris um, and it provides all of these nutrients that a ton of plants thrive off of. There's actually a um, pine tree out in the Midwest and and other places around the world where its pine cone is incapable of spreading its seed unless it reaches a certain temperature in the fire. So there's a pine tree that we've almost completely killed out because we've disallowed fires to happen in the forest. Oh, yeah. I never even thought about yeah, it Yeah, it's that like, little, like little popcorns, you know, the... Yeah. the the cone opens once fire gets to a certain level of intensity and then it starts dropping its seeds so that it can have the nutrients that all of that like um, ash and and different burned elements provide for that new seed to grow a new forest. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, you know, I had heard about that and I knew, you know, from I guess when I was a kid learning mm-hmm. about the fact that, yeah, some, some, uh, that that pine cone opens up, but I never thought of it in that way where if you're trying to prevent every single fire from happening, mm-hmm. that's actually, yeah, you're, you're, you're sort of messing with the mix of, of this, this beautiful mechanism called right. mother nature and how mm-hmm. it all interacts. Yeah. It's, it's this great circle and, and ecosystem where Things that are their natural elements were designed to do exactly what they do in the environment that they're in. And sometimes that environment catches fire and sometimes there's drought and sometimes there's water. And and usually if that plant or that animal species is in the location that it was meant to be in, which is a whole nother issue with invasive species, um, it thrives in the environment that's given to it. Um, and, and with humans, you know, we, we have a certain environment that we enjoy and that's usually air conditioning (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, down south, and typically not on fire. Um, and, and, you know, there's something to be said for that, but we have for better, for worse, taken a, 
a good chunk of the planet and started to build the environment that we like in environments that it doesn't necessarily belong. Um, and, you know, that's great for us. And some species have really thrived in that because they thrive in the similar environment that we do. Uh, but for species that like a different environment, they're kind of being pushed out quite a bit. And, and this is this is that case. Do you think it's going to get worse and worse? I mean, I have my hopes. I, I'm, I'm a positive person. And, and I think that right now um, we're going through this huge change as a society where we're paying attention, whether or not we've really turned that corner of like really being responsible. I'm not sure. But at the very least, we're paying attention now, which is something yeah, that hasn't happened a ton in the past. The debate is on the floor. It's being right. discussed. And, and, you know, even if it's just back and forth, at least it's there. Exactly. Like you said, it, it wasn't too long ago when it wasn't even. Right. Right. Really being considered at all. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there's definitely some some good steps there. Would I mean, when you do, when they decide to do like a controlled burn, yeah. have you ever taken part of one of those? I have. I actually, that was part of um, when I was growing up. I had the the honor of of growing up lighting with, the first match. Right. Oh my Boom. gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> um, one thing that I can say I very much share with my dad is not only the love of nature, but the love of fire. We're both a little bit of pyrotechnics. <laughs> oh, pyromania. Pyro- yes, yes. Um, but we, um, no, I, I grew up in the woods and, and he was a big person who fostered that love. And, and he's always been a conservationist. Um, and he taught me how to do a controlled burn, why we do controlled burns. And, and we had our own little plot of native prairie grass and native flowers um, right right by our house that we would go through every couple of years. And, and he would he would burn them and take care of them. And, and I was very lucky to get to see what that looked like. Hmm. Yeah. Oh man. How many, how, how big of a fire did you guys have? Oh boy. <laughs> I mean, we're we talking like a couple acres all at once. Um, no, the, the prairie was maybe, you know, altogether one acre. And that's it was just like grass. Woodland. Yes. Yep. Grass. Um, we had, I think the tallest would have been like four foot grasses. Um, and the lowest would have been like six inches. And so what do you, I mean, so do you just wait for like a calm day and then mm-hmm. just do like a kerosene drip with that's on fire or something like that. I think I've seen yeah. those in videos. Yep. So you you definitely want to watch for the wind. Um, if it's too strong, it's going to take it away or prevent it from going in the direction that you want it to. Uh-huh. But you start on one end and, and you always want to have someone on the other end who's going to be able to watch and make sure it's not getting out of hand. But you just do a very slow start. You can do a kerosene start, but after that, it, it kind of, it knows what, it yeah, wants to it does do. It on its own. Yeah, so it, it takes it on its own, and and the I mean, a lot of controlled burns. You you think of them as controlled burns, but you don't actually even see any flames. Like it's all just kind of smoke, um, and not a lot of it, just because it's so small. Yeah, that, yeah. That it doesn't have the opportunity to create these big flames. And we would do that, but then we would also do like slash and burn piles. So in in the back, we had this really bad problem with um, a few invasive species, trees and and underbrush and such. So we would go through and and cut those down and try to help the forest 
be what it's supposed to be and you would pile those all up in in different piles around the forest and when you got to a point where you had enough rain or it was the right temperature and you knew you could burn it safely we would have these big huge bonfires oh it it was so fun um but it's a good way to build the community come on everybody grab beer right get over here it's gonna be a big one and before that one um one thing that i always kind of do brag about about my childhood um, was the day before we would do a burn. One of my jobs was to go out and make sure that all of like the little woodland creatures weren't nesting under these piles that had been around for a few months. And, oh, and yeah, yeah, like animals right. take um, take refuge in them. And the, it would easily be two to like six a year where I would go in and there would be like a little fawn that was bedding in it and fawns in there yeah oh yeah and they're like they're like puppies and when they're scared or when they're nervous or when mom's away they don't run away they just kind of lay there and like hope that you don't see them or like (sighs) hope that you don't eat them right right (laughs) so we we would um get them out of these piles so that they would be safe you just scoop them up Oh, That's really? It. Yeah, oh, okay. they literally just like lay there and they won't move. And, and my dad would pick one up and he would put it in my lap. And, and I would be sitting there for hours on end, just like oh. petting this little fawn. Child's dream right there. <laughs> yeah. like, oh, and they had little, like, little cold, wet noses, just like puppies. And, you know, some of them would just end up falling asleep in your lap until mom came back and she'd be all pissy and they'd, they'd have to go follow her. Oh, I'll bet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the stamping. Oh yeah! Oh my gosh! <laughs> my my camp that I when I'm in Michigan now, uh, we have old farm property, but some of it's in this forest, and I I set up you know a couple of platforms and and a couple big tents. Okay. Um, and I stay out there for a couple weeks at a time or whatever, and um, but it's right next to the old game trail. Okay. And so every morning I wake up and I'm having coffee, and just three or four deer. Passing right by, no big deal. <laughs> but in the middle of the night, you can hear them, and the you'll hear the box do the snort. Where oh yeah, like, <laughs> and you're, you're sort of like, oh my gosh, oh man, they're they're fun, dude. Oh, God. oh yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it is. It's just some one of those strange things with fire, and I I do I understand how it is spooky because. You just never know if it's going to get out of control. Yeah. Because you know how they can, a fire, once it gets to a certain size, it creates its own wind systems. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I, I I saw some documentary about the ones recently in Australia that were literally creating their own clouds mm-hmm. with the smoke, which was then creating more lightning and more wind, which was starting more fires. I mean, yeah. it seemed like it was just a snowball effect. Oh, yeah. It's insane. I mean, it's very similar to the power of the ocean, you know, like we're, we're out on boats and, and you look at the ocean and there's like, you know, there's no way you can control this thing. Like you just have to go with the flow. Um, and fire can be a very similar thing where it can take on its, its own sense. And, and it's this great, powerful body of, you know, whatever. But a lot of times it's, it's just about, going with the flow and letting it do what it wants to do um, when you can and when that's a safe scenario Um, because a lot of times it's it is this this creation from destruction 
Um, and that's a lot of how the earth kind of heals and repairs itself is by going through and getting rid of all of this, this slough and all of this dead debris. Um, and unfortunately, sometimes, I mean, houses are made of houses dead wood. Houses are there, yeah. You know, right. yeah. Um, but that's the thing that we're learning as humans is like we love to be in control of things. We love to be in control of everything. Um, and sometimes that, that bites us. Yeah, well, sometimes, you know, Mother Nature knows best, mm -hmm. uh, especially when it's trying to sort of correct an imbalance. Yeah. Um, you know, for instance, in, in sort of my ocean world, having, having spent sort of the better part of the last two hurricane seasons out in the Atlantic, mm -hmm. um, it's, it, and I, I'm obviously not a meteorologist, but uh, my sort of take on the whole hurricane thing, because obviously that's, that's another one of the natural disasters where uh, 2020 season, we had 29 named storms or something like yeah. that. I, I can't even remember. Um, but it's, it's one of those things where what I see is, <coughs> excuse me, I see an ocean that, you know, is heating up and it's a lot hotter. Mm -hmm. And so, boom, it's, it's like Mother Nature kicks in immediately. And it's just the science of the fact that that now you got hotter water, you got more evaporation, you got more energy going higher up in the atmosphere and building up a bigger and badder hurricane. But all that hurricane is doing once it gets rolling is it is drawing cold air and evaporating water and bringing cold water down to the surface of that ocean. Cause mm -hmm. I mean, if anybody's ever been in a hurricane, it is a wet, soggy affair. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're you're talking inches of rainfall. Yeah. And when you do that, I mean, that's the only time when I'm sailing through the doldrums, it's 95 degrees every day. Um, and the water, if you jump in, it's hot. But boy, you get a squall for two hours and suddenly you're shivering. Yeah. And you're looking for, you know, dry clothes and a raincoat and all this sort of stuff. Um, so it, it's this amazing process of... Okay, the ocean is meant to be at sort of this certain temperature where it maintains, but boy, if it heats up a little bit, then Mother Nature, like I said, kicks in, yeah. creates this thing, which unfortunately doesn't just stay in the ocean. Because I, right. you know, I mean, could you imagine that if 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 hurricanes, for whatever reason, just stayed in the ocean? Yeah, they, they just like had the wall. <laughs> oh man, that, that would probably change so drastically the. Um, the temperature of of the ocean just yeah. because you know create themselves off africa and they cruise all the way towards the caribbean just go north and then do like sort of a circle the mm -hmm. whole time dumping pretty much cold water on the ocean right but yeah and and i think that you know we're in a very um interesting time if you will where the planet for however many years it's been here, it has evolved to take care of itself where you have natural disasters and, and they're meant to write things that, that the planet needs to kind of correct itself. Um, and that's really where we're at right now with climate change is we are potentially at a point right now where the earth is not able to fix itself anymore. Um, and I think that that's, that's really what we're focusing on is it's not, how badly something is happening, but is it something that is tilting that scale between the earth writing itself versus just, you know, creating destruction after destruction anymore? 
Well, I I definitely see what you're saying. I would say though, I think it's more along the lines of like I think the Earth will always be all correct itself, mm-hmm. but I think whether or not it's an environment taking, for us, taking the consideration <laughs> of correcting ourselves by destroying our habitat, right? You know, I mean, I, given enough eons, all mm-hmm. everything is going to grow back. I mean, even if I mean, how many times have we been? just right. smashed by huge asteroids and all that. Oh, yeah. And eventually, you know, everything sort of slowly <laughs> comes through. It takes millions of years. Oh, yeah. Hundreds of millions. The, the planet but... moves at a different pace yeah, from yeah. us. Um, I mean, yeah, when, when you look at it that way, a lot of our perspective and the human perspective on things is what the world is in relation to us. us. Yeah, right? exactly. And and we we might eventually get to a point where it's no longer a great environment for us anymore, but like the world's going to keep turning. It's yeah. fine. Um, when I was doing work with, with forests and different things like that, I learned a lot about invasive species. Um, and if you were to like totally remove yourself from being a part of the human species, um, we are just that like we are the most invasive species to ever walk the planet um to the point where we have been deemed gosh i forget who did the study but we have been deemed a geological event um just like the ice age just like you know a great flood or or a volcanic eruption the human species has changed the face of the planet enough either by cities and roadways or anything that we've done that we are actually considered a geologic event oh yeah i wouldn't doubt that at all i mean yeah glaciers made the great lakes but we made all the reservoirs right Right. And so, I mean, at that point, when you consider the the extent of how much we've changed the planet, like, is it going to move in our direction or or is it going to try and right itself and, yeah, and get yeah. back to a point before we did that? Well, and it is it's something to consider because as, as robust as we might think we are with our technology mm-hmm. to be able to, you know, we got air conditioning. So if if, you know, it's one hundred and sixty degrees in the summer in Georgia now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can still live down there, but <laughs> there is like we have a pretty finite little window, a little you know, sort of speak that Goldilocks zone. Yeah, but just for us on the planet of like we can handle this medium temperatures right here, right? And if it starts really going extreme, then yeah, I mean, I have to live underground. Yeah, right. Jeez, <laughs> oh, that you know. That, that sounds great. Truly <laughs> limits the amount of people you have. Yeah, I don't know. It is. I, I. I think it is very interesting, though. Just the, just the mechanism that mm. you can see how how Mother Nature is really trying to balance things. And right. I, I've been the the idea of balance has been on my mind for the last bunch of months because I'm working on. Sort of that's that's the underlying theme of this next book about the doldrums okay. because the doldrums is this balance of extremes. The whole time you're down there, it's either no wind at all, or it's blowing forty knots and raining in a squall, or it's the most beautiful, calm, starlit night, or it's mm-hmm. so pitch black you can't see your hand in front of your yeah. face, you know? And there's there's just this it's this strange balance, and yeah, I, I definitely I feel like if we're throwing off the balance um, by, you know, taking away the biodiversity and developing, mm-hmm. 
you know, undeveloped places and, Mm -hmm. you know, pollution, all the things that we're doing sort of making our impact. I guess I would think it would just be right that, that if our impact keeps growing, Mother Nature's balancing act is probably just going to get more and more powerful. Oh, absolutely. I mean, at this point, you know, if, if you have one isolated thing that's going wrong, that's like super easily fixed. Um, but we're looking at more of a whole scale reset button, uh, which is kind of the biggest fear. Like let's, let's say for instance, um, (laughs) it was a while, a colony collapse with bees. Mm. Seems like a little thing, but if if we lose our pollinators, like that's got such a big effect where we lose plants. And that's not like, oh, shoot, everyone's got to live off of meat now because, well, the meat that we're eating lives off of plants. And it's got this huge domino effect where nothing could survive if we lost this one tiny portion of of the animal or insect world. Um, And that is something that is directly related to how we are kind of messing with the system and, yeah. and trying to make it our own. Uh, they they didn't know what was going on for like the longest time and, and there's still a little bit that they're unsure of, but by and large, two of the main factors was a specific pesticide that we were using um, in the U.S. It was created in Europe and is uh, illegal to use in Europe. So they create yeah, it there, they ship it out. <laughs> right, it's one of those like crazy things that, that you just... It's so wild that like that's what we're doing, but then there's still countries where it's legal. They used leaded gasoline, right? I yeah, yeah. It's it's just it's nuts. And um, the reason that we couldn't figure out what the heck was going wrong with these bees was because they weren't making it back to the colony. And it was the the pesticide was a neurotoxin that kind of messed with the brain of the bee and just made it not know where home was like it couldn't make it back okay yeah yeah so they didn't have any like dead bees to study because none of them came back it was just like they all disappeared um and it was it was a combination with that and there's also a pretty terrible mite that i I fail to remember if we've gotten control of it yet or not but basically um this mite could have very easily been an isolated location Mm -hmm. um but every year you know (laughs) monocultures and and all of the things we could talk about but the almond crops in california are acres and acres and acres long where there's nothing but almond trees and they ship beehives yeah yeah yeah. they only flower at one point so like they there are no pollinators in that area because they can't survive off of like one feast a year and there's normally not a whole lot of water there either right right thank goodness for those reservoirs (laughs) why is lake powell down so low (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's all oh, connected so many things um but yeah so they most uh bee beehives commercially in the u.s were all shipped to california once a year um and and they would get these mites that were in one hive but then they all hang out oh, together yeah. and they all get infected and they, they go back to their homes so these mites had had gone from one place to california to everywhere Mm-hmm. And and it was this huge problem, and and it's all things that could have so easily been avoided. Yeah, yeah. But but we're at that point where like we're really messing with the grand sche- scheme of things. So it might very well be a scenario where the whole world just presses the restart button and we get ousted. Yeah, who knows? No, true, true. Because <laughs> yeah, I mean, if when you think about it, when if if Mother Nature went just 
absolutely berserk. I mean, we're mm-hmm. talking like just decided, uh, I guess we're just doing Ice Age. Let's do Ice Age. <laughs> Ice Age is the only way we're doing Ice this. Ice Age 2.0. <laughs> yeah. And boom, all of a sudden, you know, we, we only have this teeny bit or, heaven forbid, Snowball Earth. That's yeah. happened multiple times in our history. <laughs> Day after tomorrow. Yeah, I, it is. It's it is pretty crazy. Oh man, it's interesting to be able to sit and talk to somebody who has, um, you know, I'm not saying that you're a professional by any means, uh, environmentally. <laughs> Please don't you know, say any that. Of that stuff. Yeah. And a little little side note: we do not recommend uh, <laughs> DIY burning uh you know controlled burns don't go out there are in your classes yard you can take they're made by professionals <laughs> go listen to them i'll do a warning before <laughs> we start this podcast um no but it is it's it's nice too because a lot of times whenever i'm watching anything on the internet or something and it's about mm-hmm. you know climate and and fires and catastrophes all that sort of stuff I, it's it just seems like it's somebody who's just desperately trying to prove their point and yeah. i don't know it, it's kind of nice sometimes to just talk to people who have a, a bit of a background in this mm-hmm. sort of stuff and see you know and just sort of bounce ideas off and 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 talk about our own experiences instead of just trying to shove it down oh, like, right yeah. we don't need bees we can make drones <laughs> that's a new job market right, Eighty thousand right. new jobs <laughs> Kill the bees! Oh man! You know that sort of stuff. Oh um, yeah, there, there's no stone thr- stone flinging here. Um, I, I very much like. I can see both sides, um, and I understand them very well. I have members of my family who are on both sides. I've got friends who are on both sides. So I always try to come to the conversation with that sense of like nobody's being attacked and and let's just look at the facts and let's look at what's going on and you know if there's something to be done let's do that yeah yeah and it is I, you know i i think also sort of trying to think of sort of solutions mm-hmm. instead of just naming all the problems and trying to to say all the the cause i mean right. you take you take like biodiversity and mm-hmm. it's, I mean, it's pretty irrefutable that biodiversity is a must have for oh, a healthy absolutely. ecosystem. So, you know, when, when you decide to shift over from, you know, when, when I'm down on, on the Island of Dominica, which is halfway down the chain, which mm-hmm. you will definitely have to go. <laughs> I mean, we're talking trees. It has those trees with the root system that sort of triangles off and th- it thins out like a big uh, fin. Okay. And it's just all, and they're like 30 feet across, just mm-hmm. huge ancient trees up in these, these rainforests there. Um, but uh, most of the gardens and, and even sort of the quote unquote farming areas, it's all mixed up. There's a lot of remnants from the banana plantations there. Okay. Because Dominica, and it's 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 actually like this sad story. The world is being cheated oh, when no. it comes to bananas. Like oh, absolutely. Did you know we almost lost the banana? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. That's that's another like monoculture craziness. It's, well, <laughs> Dominica. When you go to Dominica, there's you can eat I don't know ten different types of bananas. They mm-hmm. have the red ones. They have the yeah. teeny ones. They have this all. They have a huge selection because they had just bananas galore there and 
it's a perfect place. It's all volcanic. It rains constantly there. Okay. And it's always, it's like, it's either rainy or it's sunny and it's just perfect for growing. So they, they were growing bananas there in this perfect soil and it's clean water and all sorts of stuff. And then, um, but they were doing it sort of in a way where it was still mixed in with all everything else. Cause it, okay. you could take a handful of every seed in, in the grocery store or whatever. Mm-hmm. And put them in your hand and throw them in Dominica. And in a month, you're going to have a tree <laughs> growing from every single... I mean, avocado to orange to grapefruit. Everything can just nice. grow there. Um, and the bananas they produce, even to this day, are just... They're insane. You wouldn't even think that it is an actual banana that we eat now. The ones that they... I am so excited. It's it's unreal. And you it's, it's one of those things where when you think of a banana... Because they're just so mass produced, or mm-hmm. basically have to be mass grown in these just huge areas in like South yeah. America and Central America, all this stuff. And it's, you know, I know there's a pretty crazy history with it all, and mm-hmm. sort of like the banana cartels, and oh, I mean the sure. banana republics, all this stuff. Yeah, um, they're they're tasteless uh, compared to yeah. like real natural bananas, right? Oh. Well, and a big thing. It's so. impossible to describe. <laughs> yeah. And I, I I like to think I have a unique perspective on it because I started in forestry and conservation and now I'm in marketing. The the big Which bad guy. Like, well, but yeah. it's, it's going to be a key tool because if you're going to fight one thing. Oh, yeah. Which and, is and a lot of marketing. What we, what we see is the product of marketers being mm-hmm. good at what they do. I mean, orange juice was started because they had excess oranges and someone went to one of the world class marketers of the time or like, what do we do with this? Like this. Nobody wants this. What's going on? And he drove around to orange plantations and saw that little kids were running around who were who were the children of the workers in the orange plantation. And they would go up and just like try to get rid of these kids. I'm, I'm working. Go away. And they would cut the, the orange in half and squeeze it out. And these little kids would run away with cups. And that was the first time he had ever seen orange juice oh, being drank. Right. Yeah. So he's like, well, I can market that. Heck yeah. So then that started being a thing or like um, bacon. Everybody loves bacon. And I ate some this morning. Good. Four pieces. So did we. So good. <laughs> I haven't had it in months. Can you imagine a time where you didn't eat meat at breakfast? Like any kind? Uh, only when I'm out at sea after all of the meat runs out. Okay. Well, not, not too long ago, it was considered very weird to have meat for breakfast, uh, breakfast, sausage, bacon. That wasn't a thing. Um, What was it? Like pancakes and just Yeah, like pastries or like like small things. You would have a fruit. Um, It was kind of very European where you would have a pastry and jam something like that, Um, oats, but the uh, pork, specifically the pork industry wanted to sell more pork. And they went to this same, the orange juice guy, the same world-class marketer and said, how can we sell more pork? 
and he thinks, okay, well, you know, steaks for dinner. We kind of have that. You you already have ham and your lunch meat, so you guys are good on lunch. What about breakfast? Nobody eats meat at breakfast. This could be a thing. You could fill this void. No way. Yeah, so he's like, all right, how can we make meat a breakfast thing? Let's put sweets in it. Let's do like maple. Let's do different, different flavors that like go well with breakfast. And let's just do this massive marketing campaign where all of a sudden bacon is for breakfast. Breakfast sausage is like that's where it's at. And, and that changed the tone of the American breakfast. And, and we have that today. And, and people don't realize that like so much of our lives are controlled by industries who are like, how can we sell more shit? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> no, it's that, that's definitely true. I mean, if, if I were to try and pick one thing that sort of uh, makes the modern world go round, it's, it's one human being trying to sell something to other human beings. Right. Yeah. I'll show you something pretty pretty <laughs> cool on the same subject. I don't know right. if you've ever seen this. Ooh. That's a canned bacon. A can no. of bacon there. Yeah. Oh no. That can Have you of, tried it? Oh yeah. Is it awful? No, it's good. Really it, it looks awful. So <laughs> it it's it's like a whole it's I want to say it's 60 pieces of bacon super thin. In here. In okay. there. Yeah, they they roll it. They they put it on a big uh, cooking sheet. Okay. Just boom, 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 boom. Tons of them. There's a bunch of rows, and then they bake it, and then they fold it, and fold it, and fold it, and then they roll Gosh. it really tight and shove it in there. With, I mean, it, there's like crystals of. Yeah. What's What's the liquid? Is it like just all in it, bacon there isn't grease? Any liquid. There's no liquid. Okay. Not really. It's super greasy though. I mean, okay. you can ideally like if I was, I have that, and then I have powdered eggs. Mm, and stuff okay. like that. Um, so I can make, I could technically make an omelet with peppers and <laughs> bacon and even cheese sauce. And all of it is coming oh, out of cans that last for, I think that one's probably good until 2050 or something. Oh, God. Yeah. But that. it's it's hard because when you open it, <laughs> you're sort of stuck. You got to eat it. Or at least right. I had to because my fridge wasn't working pieces. at the time. Was it 40 or 60 pieces of bacon? It's like 60 it's pieces. It's like a lot of bacon. Oh, it's a ton. <laughs> and it's so good. It's one of those where, you know, you, you eat a bunch and you're sort of like, wow, it's a lot of bacon. Yep. 10 minutes later, I'm like, oh, yeah, you can eat more. Get a more bacon. Because right? it's kind of like beef jerky at that point. You're putting a big yeah. chaw of it in your hand. Right. Like, oh, it. man. All they need is a good marketer. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? God. Well, it's, it's frightening, though, for most people. They see it oh, and they're yeah. like, oh. Mm-hmm. Can bacon? That's not yeah. natural. It's no, <laughs> they're okay. Correct. You, you're totally getting me off on a tangent right now, but this—that's my I, job, right? <laughs> we'll see what sticks. I love it. Um, boxes of baked goods, like uh, a box of cake mix, for instance. Oh, okay, yeah, is like totally commonplace these days. But in the era where you you always made everything from scratch, yeah, your um, flour, yeah, yeast. Yep, they um and we have them today. We've got the option, but in originally people thought that a boxed setup of baked goods was just as weird as canned bacon. Um and I'm looking at this right now I'm like, yeah, no, I I think I'll make my own bacon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but th- they thought the same thing. And and so there was a panel of experts, whoever that was, um, and they 
interviewed all of these housewives and said, why, why are you weirded out by boxed cake? Like it's the same thing. Um, and it came down to that you didn't have to add any ingredients. And that made people think that it was, it was fake food. It's like plastic. Um, because well, they had like they to just add water. Sort of, uh, right about that where it's like fake food. Cause right? it's yeah. some of the ingredients are less than, uh, natural. Yes, a hundred percent. But you know, the the people selling it want you to think it's real. Oh yeah, sure. (laughs) I'll eat a box cake. Um, But they they started. I'll eat that can of bacon before I eat a box cake. Sugar's my enemy. Oh, I've got a bad sweet tooth. See, I yeah, don't even get me started on sugar. (laughs) And the worst part, I think the only sugar I probably get is in this beer. Oh man, I would die. Yeah, no, I've got to break my sugar addiction. I've been working on it. But um, they started with like the just add water. And that was like too new age for these people because like, no, if you just add water, it's not real food. And they weren't wrong. But, you know, you've got to figure out a way that the marketing people can work around that. So like, okay, so what if we take out the powdered eggs? What if we take out the powdered milk and we say this is a box of cake, but you have to add butter? milk and eggs and all of a sudden they're like well yeah we do that with our dried goods anyway so it's just a box of pre-mixed dry goods and you add the the ingredients so all of a sudden boxed cake was like a huge thing and it became a normal part of our aisles that was bisquick for me when i was a kid yeah yeah and it it was this thing that started out weird and now we do have the just add water but like they had to get over that hurdle and figure out how to swing it so that people were okay with it and they could sell it um and i think that this this canned bacon is just a a little too soon well (laughs) yeah it's just a little too soon but you're never gonna find that on grocery shelf not yet right yeah where did you get this? my older brother when i was taking off on trip number two he sent it to me a case of it and was just like he he wouldn't tell me what it was (laughs) you know bro i got something coming for you oh i can't wait till you see what it is and he gets all excited my brother's fan he's crazy uh, and it was. I, it was really cool. And it was. I was like, oh, my God. Because I just thought, <laughs> you oh, crack that open, there's, like, greasy bacon in, right. like, just a soup. But, no, it's. it was. <laughs> when I opened it the first time, I was like, oh, my God. Okay. And I unroll this thing. I was like, that is a ton of bacon. Oh, my God. And then you eat it, and it's just cooked bacon. Yeah. Did, did he get this in the U.S.? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I believe it's made here. I, in the I ask because it is a can that just says bacon in big words and it is army camo. Come on, which sell just it seems like, like the most marketer. American thing I can it's think of. It's definitely a doomsday prepper <laughs> thing. Yes. I can't believe I'm having to tell this to a, a marketing person. <laughs> when I'm out at sea, I eat Yoder's bacon. Smoke flavor added. U.S. inspected and passed by Department of Agriculture. Establishment as <laughs> 21332. Net weight, nine ounces. That's how you sell this bacon. <laughs> Ingredients. Pork, water, salt, sugar, smoke flavoring, sodium phosphate, sodium. Don't know how to pronounce that one. Sodium nitrate. <laughs> nice. See, that's not that bad. There you go. It's like, <laughs> it's like totally almost food. <laughs> Oh man! Well, oh I'll, I'll tell you what we're we're already uh, well past the two hour mark. Ooh, okay. And I don't want to keep you too long because I <laughs> I could literally we could probably sit here and just keep going. And this is so fun. Like I 
I love doing the sailing podcast yeah. and I, I think it's always going to be the core, but like with this one, what I'll probably end up doing if it's cool with you is I'll break it into a part one and part two. Ooh. And so the first one, we talk more about the sailing and everything. And the part two, we just go forest fires, environment, food, <laughs> marketing, you know, go into anything, but I'll, I'll publish them both at the same okay. time, probably next week. So, okay. This cool. has been awesome. Like yeah. I, you guys, I, I can't, uh, wish you more luck and it's going to be so fun. There's going to be ups. There's going to be plenty of downs, but I think you guys have the right sort of attitude towards everything. And you've got a heck of a boat that will Don't keep worry. you safe and keep you confident. So I love our boat. Yeah. 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 Well, and when, you. when do you guys, uh, get out of here? We, we are slotted for the first week of May. I think. And we're heading back up north. Um, yeah, we've got a couple things that we want to explore that we kind of passed over on our way down because it was super cold. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we want to go explore and, and head north for, for the summer. Okay, okay. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm probably not too far behind you, but I go because it's just me and I have to stay away from the traffic and I just want to sail anyway. I'll go straight out to the Gulf Stream from here, okay. so due east, hook into that, and then go straight up towards Cape Cod and George's Sweet. Bank. Yeah, so I'll be okay. offshore for for pretty much 10, 12 days. Oh, that sounds amazing. We have yet to go offshore. Well, you know, I know uh, maybe tonight at the uh, bonfire or something, we can, we can chat because, you know, the this part, this area is great. When you look at the weather and everything mm-hmm. – doing like a little hop from it to sail from here to Charleston. Okay. You could do that in just an overnight and it's not all that bad. Um, mm-hmm. Most of the shipping that is sitting out there at anchor and circling to get in is down mm-hmm. South near Savannah. Okay. Charleston has a lot of shipping, but typically they're not out there circling. Yeah. I don't know right now. Everything's a little weird, mm-hmm. but there are North of Charleston. There's a lot of areas where you can cut out and, sail for a hundred miles or 60 miles, do an overnight and then cut back in. You just have to be weary of the weather. Yeah. Yeah. I think our biggest thing was just like, you know, I keep forgetting that we are baby cruisers. Um, and, and I was nervous to go out open ocean for the first time and have an overnight Mm -hmm. because that's not something you typically do in the ICW. So we didn't have that experience and I just wanted to be able to do like a day hop and it wasn't until we got around this area where that was really accessible, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think now that we're, we are where we are and we're finally at the confidence that we are and know that we can do it, we're, we're definitely going to be exploring that option more. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Well, well, we'll definitely be able to hang out some more while we're here. But thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been a blast. Absolutely. Anytime.